all. Thank you all so much. It is a real uh, pleasure to to be here, and uh, I have to thank um, uh, I have to thank Julia for coordinating all of this, and Janine Hansen for suggesting me. I think as a speaker, and uh, and say hi to Cindy Honkoop from Washington State, where where I grew up and, and worked for a long time. And, uh, um, and then recognize also my friend Michael Maybach, who's here, who directs the Center for the Electoral College, uh, an, an ally of, uh, of, of mine and all of ours, I think, in this, in this fight. Um, I, was, uh, I, I spoke last night at a, a very liberal college as part of a debate program in Manhattan. Um, and, so, uh, and so I'm really glad to be here because, uh, because I, I, think, I think there'll probably be less hissing uh, <laughs> in the audience. I'm, I'm hoping. Um, it was, I, I will say this, um, Lawrence O'Donnell was the moderator. And, uh, and so, you know, I, w I was a little bit worried. Uh, you know, of course, coming from Washington State, um, you know, you, you, you get used to these things. But he was scrupulously fair. I, I have to say that. I was, I was, really, I was really impressed. He was, he was scrupulously fair. Um, but I did have someone come up to me at the end and say, well, you know, I don't understand how you can defend this part of the Constitution because obviously it was all about racism and slavery. And, uh, and I, I, I know, and I, I said, you know, it, it seems to me that, that that's not a, a very good argument because, you know, the, the whole Constitution was written together, right? And so, I mean, do you think the First Amendment is about racism and slavery and we should get rid of it, right? And, and uh, um, she just sort of wandered, wandered off after that. But... Uh, um, I, I, muttering something about how she was sure that I was a white supremacist or something like that. But uh, um, anyhow, I mean, but all in all, the New York crowd, despite some boos and hisses and, and that little incident, was, was, very, was very pleasant, but obviously um, not very convinced because they would benefit, as we'll talk about, from, uh, from abolishing or hijacking the Electoral College. So I want to do three things here real quickly. Oh, and, and my, my cartoon is up there, and I guess I, I probably can push these buttons to, uh, there we go, uh, to uh, get to what, I, I, I want to talk about the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, which is the threat. But I want to start off for just a moment talking about the history of the Electoral College. And a lot of you have probably seen the, the, the imprimis um, that uh, I wrote for in, in June. Um, if you haven't, I have some extra copies uh, that I brought with me, and I, I can give you one afterwards. Um, I, I was actually, I was delighted. Um, I saw that I was going to speak after Bill McClay and, uh, here, and then, uh, and then the next imprimus was, was from Bill McClay. So we've got, I don't know where we'll show up again, but um, I, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a privilege. I think we pack a good one-two punch here, so... Uh, I want to talk about the, the story of the Electoral College real quick because I, I think this is important to understand, um, and, and I love it for the following reason. When you go back and read the history of the, the Constitutional Convention and the debates over electing a president, you discover just how innovative and just how honest and just how practical were the American founders. You know, they, they started off with, a, with something very conventional, a parliamentary model. The Virginia Plan, the, the original rough draft of the Constitution introduced at the beginning of the convention called for Congress to elect a president, right? A parliamentary model, how lots of countries still do it today. This is, this is the other thing that someone told me last night. They said, well, every other country, I've heard this so many times, every other country elects their president with a popular vote. And I, I said, well, you know, I mean, how do you think the prime minister of, of, of Britain, Great Britain is elected? Well, by a popular vote. Okay, this is, this is going to take longer than, you know, than the... the uh, 
So, uh, you know, of course, you know, a parliamentary system is, if you're interested in one person, one vote, you know, democracy is your, your highest goal, right? A parliamentary system is worse than our electoral college, if that's, if that's what you, uh, your ultimate value. Um, they, they started off with that, but the problem was, and the problem with the parliamentary system is that it, it makes your executive the lackey of your, of, of your legislators, right? You don't have a separation of powers, right? Congress has a lackey, and, and how do they select their lackey? By horse trading, by politics, right? So you wind up with congressional politics determining who gets elected and, uh, and, and really controlling the executive branch. And it's interesting to see, right, they, they, would, they would put forward the, uh, the parliamentary model and they would bring this up and they, they kind of all, you get this sense reading the debates from Madison's notes and some of the other notes and letters that survive, they all kind of agreed, like, this is, we don't want to do this, but there's not another model. And they went through all kinds of things. What if we had state governors elect the president? Well... These are also politicians, right? This, you know, this, this is maybe better in some ways, but maybe worse in other ways. And it's, it's going to break down the vertical separation of powers between the federal government and the states. So they didn't want to do that. At one point, the most out-of-the-box thing uh, that, that was proposed, they said, well, well what if we, we have Congress select the president, but we have members of Congress go up and they'll draw marbles out of a jar. And whoever gets the, the certain colored marbles, that group of members of Congress will be ushered into a room, locked in, and we won't let them out until they choose the president. Right? So no horse trading. Nobody knows who it's going to be ahead of time. I mean, I, I, read, I, you know, I read this. I remember the first time I read this. I thought, I mean, wow, like this, this is really sort of some oddball stuff. There wasn't a lot of debating about it um, afterward. I think they, they just sort of realized that, that that might seem maybe a little too much like selecting a, a, a a pope, frankly. Um, they'd have to have white smoke come out of the, the rotunda or something. Uh, so uh, at the, finally, um, toward the end, uh, they hit on the idea, well, what if we create another Congress? I mean, you think about it, this is really what the Electoral College is, right? It never all meets in the same place. But they said, look, we hammered out this, we hammered out this uh, uh, compromise right, between the, the big states like New York and Virginia and the small states like pretty much everybody else. Um, and, of course, New York and Virginia, right, a state in the north, a state in the south. There were small states in the north, small states in the, in the south. They hammered out this compromise. They said, look, what if we just take that compromise and we create a body that exists only to elect a president? You know, it comes into existence, elects it. So these aren't, these aren't politicians in any sense other than that they are elected officials, but their only job is to elect the president, and then they go away, right? And, uh, and when they're debating this, James Madison stands up, and, and uh, they've, been, they've been talking also about just having a direct popular election. And some, some of the founders, some of the framers supported that. And James Madison stands up, and he says, look, he says, I support that too, a, a direct national popular vote, except right? It sounds good in theory, right? Sort of like, like people tell us about communism, right? It, it sounds good in theory, but Madison says, look, the problem is in practice it would be dangerous for the following reason that's still true today. Uh, and, and, you know, not that people were stupid. That's The New York Times always, oh, they just did this because they thought people were stupid. Well, you know, th there were concerns about people's access to information and all that, but Madison says, look, that the problem is uh, we have some dense population areas in our country, 
And we have some very rural parts of our country and lots of small towns. And if we go with a direct popular vote, it sounds so good. It's so easy to explain, right? It would make the job of, of uh, civics teachers so easy. But if we did that, it would entrench power basically in New York and in Virginia, and everybody else would be left out. As a practical matter, everybody else would be left out. And Madison points out, right, this is not healthy for a political system, right? People have to believe that their voice can be heard, right? This is, this is important, right? And, 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 and so Madison kind of pushes them to, let's go back to this electoral college idea. Let's flesh this out. There's a committee called the Committee of the Eleven because they selected one delegate from each state that was, that was there represented at the convention right at the end, at the 11th hour, uh, the Committee of Eleven. They go and they come back with the electoral college basically as it exists today. And uh, uh, with the one exception that uh, the runner-up doesn't become vice president anymore, um, which, which I think is a good thing. Although, you know, in the world of Twitter, um, I mean, just, just imagine what those, what those uh, Adams, Jefferson, Hamilton fights on Twitter would look like, right? How many, how many dummy Twitter accounts would uh, Thomas Jefferson have, do you think? Uh, so, yeah, just, just mull on that. Um, <laughs> So they, uh, so they create the Electoral College, and they give the power to the states. And, and here's, what it, here's what the constitutional provision says. Each state shall appoint, in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct, a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. And then uh, this is in Article 2, Section 1, and then it, it goes on uh, to describe a little bit more, and then the modification in, uh, in the 12th Amendment to uh, the, the, you know, casting separate votes for president and vice president rather than just having the runner-up uh, become, uh, become vice president. So that's the constitutional provision. Pretty simple, right? And everybody understood what the purpose was. The purpose was to keep the, keep the election at the state level, right? It distributes power, keeps it within the states, and then give the states flexibility to decide how best to represent their own state's political will in the process. Everybody understood that until about 15 years ago. And about 15 years ago, the, the National Popular Vote Campaign came on the scene. Um, founded by John Cosa, who, uh, who was at the debate um, last night on the other side. Uh, he's a very nice, uh, very smart gentleman, uh, a, a, a major donor to far-left political causes. He invented the scratch-off lottery ticket back in the 1970s and then spent the 80s traveling around to state legislatures convincing them to adopt scratch-off lotteries. You know, this was going to be the solution to all their education funding needs, right? Um, didn't really do that, but it did solve some of John Coase's needs. And, uh, uh, and he's reinvested his, his, uh, his gambling winnings um, into national popular vote, which, I mean, they have essentially unlimited money, as far as I can tell. Uh, and, uh, and he was an Al Gore elector in 2000 in California, and so obviously he was very upset about the outcome, uh, but he's also, he's also very wealthy and he's also very smart. And so he started casting around for some way to get rid of the Electoral College, uh, but he was smart enough to know that, you know, pushing a constitutional amendment was a fool's errand, right? He, just, there, there, he wasn't going to be able to build the national consensus in his, in his lifetime to achieve that. And so he found a couple of law professor brothers, uh, Vikram David Amar and Akhil Amar, who had come up with this idea. What if we use this power in the Constitution, this power that state legislatures have, and we get states to just agree to ignore how the people in their own state vote, 
and instead to, to elect their presidential electors, not based on the vote of the people in their state, but based on the vote of the people nationwide. If we could do that, then you don't have to change the Constitution, but you have the, the exact same effect of having abolished the Electoral College completely and having a direct election for president, right? You get, a, a, I mean, the effect of a national popular vote, while it still has to be carried out at the state level, and we'll probably talk toward the end about, it, it's actually the it's actually the worst way to get rid of the Electoral College because it's an end run, because it, it tries to overlay one system on another system. Uh, it, it's very dangerous and unstable. And actually, you don't have to take my word for it. Uh, because Vikram David Amar, one of these law professors who came up with this plan, he, he actually didn't want it to take effect um, right away. He, he wanted it to have a trigger when they hit the trigger, which I'll describe in just a minute. He wanted there to be a, it to start a 10-year clock because he, he admits... And he just wrote something about this recently. He admits it is not really a stable system. It's a way to create enough political instability that people would then have to amend the Constitution and, and get rid of the Electoral College. And, to, you know, today I will, I will add in there, if the left was to write a constitutional amendment that had to do with, with elections, they would not just gut the Electoral College. They would also gut the First Amendment. They're on record. There are constitutional amendments proposed in Congress to do that, right? If we create so much instability that they get to run an amendment um, to, to fix the problem that they, that they themselves would have created, right, it will go far, I think, beyond um, just getting rid of the Electoral College. Um, so, but, but John Cosa wanted, he wanted this to go into effect right away. Um, so the way national popular vote works is as soon as they hit 270 electoral votes, as you can see up there on the screen, um, that's an electoral college majority. That would control the outcome of presidential elections um, unless states dropped out of the compact. If they can get enough states to adopt this legislation that, that those states control 270 electoral votes, this would take effect and would control the outcome. And as you can see there, 15 states, plus the District of Columbia, worth 196 electoral votes, have adopted national popular vote, right? This is not theoretical. Um, this is very real. So what would, what would the consequences of this be? Um, obviously, right, James Madison's observation is still correct. Right. If if you uh, if you move to a direct election system, that puts more powers in big cities. Right. Which I'm, I'm sure is a part of why my New York crowd last night um, was so much on the on the side of doing away with the Electoral College. Right. It would it would benefit those areas. And, and the easiest way to explain this to people, because I get pushback on this, people say, oh, come on, it would you know, NPV would make every voter equal. Everybody be equal. Everybody get the same attention. And, I'll, you know, a lot of you have been involved in, in, in uh, political campaigns here, and so you, you just know instinctively why this is not true. I ran for the state legislature in Washington State, right? And when you, when you start out a campaign, especially in the ground game, you've got, in, in the district I was in, um, I had a lot of people who lived down long driveways with big dogs, and I had a lot of people who lived in, in subdivisions, right? And obviously, you go to the subdivisions first, and you really never go down the long driveways with the big dogs. It's dangerous, um, and, and, and I learned you don't go into the cities uh, sometimes. Uh, so, some parts of the cities can be dangerous, too. But uh, and somebody, somebody, anyhow, run a pistol slide on me from the other side of a door when I was doorbelling, and I, I left that. Uh, I didn't leave a flyer. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, no, you, you go to the places where people are densely packed, right? It's just common sense. Uh, 
The founders understood this. It's still true today. National popular vote would shift power to the cities. It would eliminate the boost that small states get uh, from having two senators, right, which is a part of the compromise that formed our Constitution. And some people, some people have raised the question about whether this violates Article 5, because Article 5 says, and I, I don't think it does, but it, 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 does, it does make the point. You know, Article 5 says the one thing in the Constitution that cannot be amended without unanimity, anybody know what it is? Equal suffrage in the Senate, right? I mean, the most important part of the Constitution, according to Article 5, is that each state gets equal representation in the Senate. It's the only thing today that can't be amended without, without unanimity among the states. Um, uh, what else would be the consequences of national popular vote? I used to call it the Acorn Reempowerment Act, but fewer people understand that today. Uh, I mean, look, if... if if you run a political machine in New York or in Chicago or in Los Angeles, right, national popular vote would allow you to uh, swing presidential elections through ballot harvesting or whatever other means you can come up with in a way that, that doesn't matter today, right? Because winning, you know, winning California by, with 60 percent or with 80 percent, it doesn't matter, right? The Electoral College incentivizes candidates to go to places where they're slightly behind and try to, you know, and try to win a few more people over there. You can't win by running up the score in places where you're already popular. NPV would change that. NPV also, I mentioned this is the worst way to change the Electoral College. It, it really would be disastrous because each state in the compact would actually certify the national popular vote total for itself. And it's all trust and no verify, right? Reagan said trust and verify. This is all trust, no verify, right? I mean, imagine, imagine this scenario, which is easy, I think, to imagine, right? California voters are sitting around on Election Day in 2024, um, if national popular vote has taken effect, and they're watching MSNBC. And Rachel Maddow is telling them, you know, the Republican, it's, it's election day, it looks like things are going to be close, it looks like maybe the Republican candidate's slightly ahead, and Rachel Maddow is telling her friends in California, the only reason Republicans are, uh, you know, have a, have, even have a chance to win this election is because of voter suppression in the South. Right? What is the California Secretary of State going to do if the majority of that person's constituents, and by the way, you know, the California Secretary of State always wants to be either governor or senator, right, and eventually president of the United States, are they going to go with what their, what their constituents believe, right, which is that that, that, elect, that popular vote is illegitimate, or are they just going to put their rubber stamp on the popular vote result? And you could flip that around and say the same thing about, about uh, you know, Oklahoma or Texas, right? Are we just going to go along... If we're hearing that the only reason why Democrats are slightly ahead in the presidential election is because there's a million illegitimate votes in California, are we really just going to go along with that? The National Popular Vote Compact literally says nothing about how to resolve election disputes, which makes sense if the objective is to create political instability. It doesn't really make sense any other way, uh, as far as I can figure out. And it would inevitably lead to a takeover of elections, because the only solution at that point, whether you have a constitutional amendment or not, the, the only solution to that instability and to a lot of other concerns people would have about fairness that are, that are perfectly legitimate would be to centralize control over elections, right? Because if, I mean, if, if, if I have an election, you know, in a current presidential election, when I vote and, and Bill votes in Oklahoma, right, we, we know the rules in Oklahoma. Our ballots are, you know, presidential candidates get on the ballot in a certain way. We cast our votes a certain way. They're counted a certain way. They're recounted if need be a certain way. And it doesn't have to be the same in Virginia, 
right? But if, if Virginians' ballots and Oklahomans' ballots are all thrown into the same ballot box, it violates a, a fundamental principle of fairness to then say, but, you know, the way you cast your votes are, is going to be different, the way they're counted is going to be different, the way they're recounted is going to be different. You would have to centralize control. And frankly, conservatives would demand centralized control of elections if national popular vote ever took effect, because it would be our only defense against election fraud in blue states. Right? We, we would demand it. Right? We would demand that the federal government take over elections because we wouldn't have any choice at that point. So <clears throat> where are we in this, in this fight? And, and Eagle Forum has been uh, really the greatest ally in this fight since, uh, since at the very beginning. Uh, and and I, I should say, too, I've just as, as far as my own, my own career and my own interest in all of this, uh, my, my first real job out of college was at the Council for National Policy, um, where Phyllis Schlafly was a workshop chairman, and my job was putting together the workshops. And so, uh, and, and so I, I got to work with her directly uh, quite a bit, and it was a great pleasure. And I learned a lot um, about the importance of institutions and also about how to, how to stop bad ideas. Um, and so I, I have to give a, a lot of credit to your mom for, for Save Our States and everything that we do. And, and uh, as I said, Eagle Forum has been, has been such a good ally right from the beginning. Um, with, uh, with so much help from, from Janine Hansen. Uh, where are we right now with national popular vote? I mentioned that there are 15 states plus the District of Columbia that have passed this. Um, all of those are blue states. And so sometimes conservatives say to me, well, look, they're running out of blue states. We don't have to worry about this. It looks scary, but they're not, they're not going to get there. Um, here's, here's the reality. As I mentioned, national popular vote basically has unlimited money. And, uh, and they are lobbying in every single state. And that's not hyperbole, right? What, wherever you are from, if your state hasn't adopted NPV, I guarantee that national popular vote has, has had people on the ground in your state. They are everywhere. Um, they've been in Oklahoma this year. Uh, I mean, which is which is just sort of mind-boggling to me because I mean I'm right there. We've, we we have uh, we have sort of made this a radioactive enough issue that they couldn't even find a bill sponsor, but they were still there, right? They were still there with their lobbying team on the ground, um, and, and using their favorite tactic, um, which I want to appeal to all of you to, to watch for this because this is their favorite tactic, but it's also their Achilles' heel. Um, what National Popular Vote loves to do is to identify some Republican legislators uh, who are, you know, oftentimes they're, they're new or they're not, um, they're, they're probably not the kind of people who come to Eagle Forum meetings, <laughs> and uh, they will take them on all expenses paid uh, trips to five-star tropical resorts. Um, I mean, you know, Ritz-Carlton, Puerto Rico used to be a place they went a lot. They, they took some people to, uh, to New York City once, but they seem to prefer the tropics. They've gone to the Ritz-Carlton, New Orleans, which, which uh, Nebraska, you know, a supposedly conservative Nebraska legislator get very angry with me when I brought this up. He actually sent a letter to all of my board members saying that I should be fired because I was questioning his integrity. And I went back on his Instagram feed and found pictures of him with the NPV lobbyists at the Ritz-Carlton, New Orleans. So I, you know, I... If, if, that's, if, if I was impugning his integrity, then his integrity, uh, he should consider it impugned. Um, <laughs> but but this, is, this is what they like to do, and, uh, and this has an effect. They did this in Michigan last year. They got a majority of Michigan Republican state senators 
to co-sponsor national popular vote and try to push it in their lame duck session last year. Now, we hit the ground there, um, and, uh, and, and we worked with allies in Michigan, and, and frankly, as I say, this is their Achilles heel. When you expose that that's how they're lobbying for this, that they're trying to get state legislators to tinker with the Constitution in a fundamentally illegitimate way to change the rules in presidential elections, and they're doing it by buying your legislators Mai Tais and taking them to the beach, right? That tends to make people pretty angry. Um, it did in Michigan. It did in Oklahoma. It did in Arizona. Um, we stopped it dead in Michigan. They actually, I mean, they, leaders in, in both chambers ended up saying, we're not going to, don't worry, we, we're not going to give this bill a vote. Um, but in Oklahoma, before I had moved there, they got it through the Oklahoma State Senate. Right? I mean, this is a supermajority Republican body. They got it through the Arizona House of Representatives. Um, I mean, with, with the, the tireless work of people like Janine and, uh, and myself and, and lots of you in the room, I know we have been able to stop them in every red state and every purple state that wasn't completely controlled by the Democrats. But this is serious. Um, they're not going away, right? And after 2016, they, they now have a ground game. I mean, this, this got became much more difficult after 2016 because they have a ground game. They have the resistance out there. Um, and after 2018, they won a lot more power in state legislative races, which allowed them to pick up, um, you know, not, not just Democrats, right? These are like hardcore progressive Democrats that have shifted left, even in states like Delaware that have been Democrat for a long time. Um, they were able to pick up Delaware, New Mexico, um, and, uh, and Oregon, and Colorado. Colorado now... Uh, citizens have gathered signatures and put this on the ballot. So it's going to go to the ballot for a vote to repeal national popular vote in Colorado next November, the same as the presidential election. Uh, they, uh, um, they almost got it through in Maine, but we got seven Democrats to flip back and, uh, and stop it literally on the last day of the session in Maine. Uh, they, uh, they passed it in Nevada, but the Democrat governor in Nevada vetoed it and said, I'm not, yeah, exactly. Th I mean, and his state, yeah, his statement was exceptionally good. Um, I mean, and this is, I mean, the, the, the work that was done in Nevada was, uh, was just awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he, point, he said, look, I, I am not going to hand over my state's voice to Los Angeles, right? I mean, this is, yeah, good common sense. I mean, and, and I, I will say, we, we, should, we should avoid making this a partisan issue to the extent that, that, we, that we can, because there are a lot of Democrats who, who recognize that, you know, if you're a Democrat and you're not from Los Angeles, Chicago, or New York, or you don't, you know, you're not a fellow traveler with that sort of Democrat, right? You're not an AOC Democrat. You, you recognize this would give the AOC wing of their party more power, right? And so a lot of Democrats see this as a threat. Uh, not, you know, not enough, but we're, we're working on it. Uh, so I, I listed the top concerns up there. Michigan, obviously, Minnesota, New Hampshire. This will have a vote. There's a study session in New Hampshire on October 3rd. It will get a vote um, next year because of the, the rules in New Hampshire. I, I think we're going to be okay. Virginia is a major concern with the legislative election coming up here. Um, national popular has been very active in Virginia um, and, uh, and obviously we're all watching the, the state elections this year. Other states where national popular vote has been, has been very present in their lobbying efforts, um, Alaska, I mentioned Arizona, Arkansas, Maine, I mentioned, um, Missouri, Nevada, North Carolina, Nevada, that can't, can't come back next year, uh, thankfully, and Maine, it can't come back next year either. Uh, North Carolina, um, I know they've, they've been very active there, and there's some concern about the legislative elections next year. Um, Pennsylvania, same thing. Uh, Utah and in Wisconsin, um, as as long as we 
keep the firewall strong and keep NPV passing in, in any state where Democrats don't have complete control, unless there's a massive wave election, uh, we will be able to stop NPV. But we also have to be ready if things swing back in states that have adopted it, like New Mexico, like Delaware, um, like Oregon or, or anywhere else to, to like Massachusetts. I was talking to a Massachusetts Democrat, actually, or my, my, one of my colleagues was um, in August, and uh, this Massachusetts Democrat said, yeah, I'm not sure this is a good idea. Um, we have to be ready to try to get states to repeal this. Um, and, and, you know, many of you, I'm sure, think it's very analogous to ERA, right? The problem with national popular vote is it doesn't go away. Uh, so, so it's important not just to beat it, but to push it back and to push it back as hard as we can. Uh, how much time do I have? Uh, two minutes. Two minutes. Okay, that's perfect. That's all I need because I, I want to say something about how to defeat national popular vote, uh, how to defeat it rhetorically, right? What, what, is the, what are the messaging points to defeat national popular vote? And I want to identify three different groups of people because it really depends on who you're talking to. One are the true believers. Another is the paid lobbyists. Um, and, then the, uh, and then the third, let's see, what's my third group? Um, my, well, my third group is the leftist opportunists. And frankly, when it comes to the paid lobbyists and the leftist opportunists, there's probably not very much um, that we can do other than expose them, right? We need to expose them. Um, but as far as the true believers, right, and, and including, including sort of conservative legislators who have maybe they've, you know, maybe they had too many Mai Tais, and they started to buy into this, right? How, how do we help them understand why national popular vote is the wrong direction? There, there are two kinds of arguments. One is specific to the national popular vote interstate compact. And I think this is very important um, because the national popular vote interstate compact is not well drafted. It is not stable. It is not something that would work. Even if someone would prefer to do away with the electoral college, the national popular vote interstate compact is illegitimate and dangerous. Right, even for people who, who want to move in that direction. And so that, that, that is one set of arguments that I think are, are important for us to be able to make. Um, because frankly, there, there are a lot of state legislators who just do not care that we're a Republican, not a democracy. Right? I wish that was not the truth. Hopefully, they'll read Bill's book, and then they'll, you know, they'll, they'll figure out um, some of this a little bit better. But the fact is that the easiest way to convince some legislators is just to help them understand national popular vote interstate compact is dangerous. Right now, then there's the other set of arguments about the Electoral College, and these arguments work very well if you're talking with someone from rural America, small town America, right, or or in a small state, uh, which is the fact that the Electoral College is 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 a it's a part of our system of checks and balances that's designed to make sure that big cities don't control everything. It contains election disputes in individual states, like the watertight compartments on an ocean liner. Right? So if you have a problem in one state, it doesn't, it doesn't sink the whole ship. Right? You have a problem in one state with the Electoral College, it's contained in that state. We can deal with it that way. You never need a nationwide recount with the Electoral College. And the Electoral College, and this is something that ought to, reson uh, to resonate with uh, Democrats today, the Electoral College is why presidential appointees do not run presidential re-elections. Right, you think about it. I, I mentioned you would have to centralize power over elections in Washington, D.C. under any kind of a national popular vote system. You'd have to have one decision maker, and it would have to be in Washington, D.C. That means giving presidents more control over their own elections and re-elections. That is a terrible idea. 
right? And, and in the age of Donald Trump, you would think that Democrats would understand that that's a terrible idea. That's a terrible idea. It would be bad if Barack Obama was in charge of his reelection in 2012. And it would be bad if, Barack, if, if Donald Trump was in charge of his reelection in 2020, right? If for no other reason, then it would, it would detract from people's faith in our system. So I, I've got my contact information or my email up there, my website up there. Um, I, I hope you will at least do this for me. When you see national popular vote in your state, let me know. Because I, I have a network of experts. Michael has a network of experts. We will get people into your state, right? We, we will fly people into your state to speak to meetings, to speak one-on-one -on -one with legislators, to testify at committee hearings. We can do that. Um, the, the only thing we need... Is, is to know about it ahead of time. And then, you know, if you can, if you can help us, you know, build a strategy in your state and get some grassroots out, even better. Uh, but at least just let me know. Trent uh, at saveourstates.com is the email address. Thank you all so much for everything that you do.